The following is a special presentation of the Buccaneers Sports Network. This is the Jay and Keith Show. Two broadcasters. Oh, yeah. Two microphones. And one meticulously scripted podcast. You what? Just kidding. Get it, J.K.? You get it. That's what I thought was so funny. It's not funny. Alongside Keith Brake, here's the voice of the Bucks, Jay Sandoz. Yeah, it's a Thursday, and we're getting you prepared for Sunday basketball, 2 p.m. for both games. ETSU men's basketball in lovely, spacious, and I mean spacious, Moorhead, Kentucky. As Moorhead State, the Eagles will host the Bucks, And then a solid women's game in Brooks Gym, 2 p.m., same time. It'll be the Bowling Green Eagles, right? Let's draw a blank. Eagles. Bowling Green Falcons. Falcons. Ah, oh, they're like an eagle. Fly like an eagle. It's more at State Eagles. That's why I had that in my head. And yes. then the, the old Falcons of Bowling Green who come in with a 6-1 mark versus ETSU and their gaudy 8-2 mark that nobody saw coming, let's be honest. No. By the way, I'm Jace Keith. Uh, yeah, hi. Um, <clears throat> we, I was kind of... I was half joking with Mike Ezekiel, the uh, the SID for Women's Soups. I said at the beginning of the year, if if I had told you that this team is going to win, you know, eight, ten games, you would probably thought that was about right because that's traditionally, I mean, in the recent past, that's what they've done. They won nine, they won four, they won six. You know, ten would be obviously above that. If I told you they would won 15 games, you would have taken that and run. And now I think we can all safely say that if this team wins 15 games, given their start, it would be a massive disappointment in the second half of the year. So uh, this group's played really well together. I definitely think they've defied expectations. I, I certainly think Coach Mock um, has to be the front runner at this point for SoCon Coach of the Year uh, and, and has done a, a, a terrific job coming into a situation where she knew she had some players that could do some things for her um, and, and really making the most of that group. That's just kudos to her and to that team. This is going to be, um, this is their toughest game since the season opener. I say that flat. This is tougher than Vanderbilt. Um, this will be a really challenging group. It's a group that got the better of the Bucks last year in the season opener. Um, they're a team that just is so disruptive and uh, they've got several players that are really disruptive. Nyla Hampton uh, rings a bell um, on that front, rings true on that front because She's one of the. She is the school's active leader in steals per game. There's a lot going on there. Um, this is a good group. Everybody in their starting five does something meaningful. Uh, this is a, a program that surprisingly was not picked to win the MAC, but I think very much has the firepower to win the MAC. Yeah, and I think, uh, and we, we can stick with women's, and then eventually transition sort of the the men's thing. But in today's kind of ever-changing world with transfers and other things. You know, that's a team that didn't particularly have a lot go missing from the year. Now, it's impossible for most teams to lose, like, one player, two players, like that, that, or bring in one or two players. But for the most part, when you look at the landscape of the college basketball and really now all of sports, even talking to Ricky Rojas today about women's tennis and the portal and how that's even yeah. affected even those sports, uh, this is one of the more – veteran teams that I think ETSU has seen this year uh, so far on paper. And I think it shows why they're 6-1, and one, mm-hmm. why they've been able to do. And I think there'll be some some similar things on how ETSU has been very good in rebounding, very good at trying to get to the free throw line, trying to drive, get the point to the paint. They're kind of going to meet their match as far as a team that can rebound, 
It's also another team that gets to the free throw line a lot more than their opponents do. So to me, kind of good on good there. The biggest difference, clearly Bowling Green has an easier time scoring the basketball. They do. And part of that is because this group has played for so long together. You talked about the transfer portal, but um, Robin Frelich has done a phenomenal job of keeping this group. Her second year, her first full recruiting class. You know how it is. You know, the first year coach comes in, your recruiting class is largely set because most of the players were in the early signing period, all that stuff. Um, she signed six players in her second recruiting class going into, uh, which would have been the class of 2020. So their freshman year was 2020, 2021, that season. Um, five of those players are still there. And that's not really something that happens very often. So the continuity that they've had to be able to play together now their third year going um, and to be able to make meaningful contributions from a very early period in their time in the program. um, I think this is a group that's really got it all together. And they lost a lot of of games, man games to injury last year. 75 man games lost to injury for Bowling Green last season. So um, that's that's a significant amount of, of time missed. They lost the reigning Mac freshman of the year two days before the start of the season. Um, that would normally torpedo your season. And they they only won 17 games, uh, which is below what they had hoped to do, but still more than many teams would do in those similar circumstances. So this is a great group. It's going to test North Dakota State in a lot of different ways. As you mentioned, they are very effective scoring the ball from all three levels. Um, it's, uh, I, I say North Dakota State. I was going to say your first Freudian slip you've had in. A, uh, I, I was waiting for one of those during the football season, and you didn't give me one. So, I, But you did, in fairness, you were entrenched thoroughly as the women's uh, basketball play-by-play I guy. was. I was. And we they played teams like Bowling Green a lot. Um, and also, it's a Midwestern team. Um, but, yeah. Let me say this. Okay. While you regroup. Because you're fine. Listen, we knew it was going to happen. And you're not fooling anybody. We know you work at North Dakota State. Here's yeah. the deal. Well, I just said they, this right. Bowling Green team scores at all three levels. Right. They're uh, they're just a really good, explosive, dynamic offensive. You look at everything they do offensively and all their numbers, and they just are better than ETSU on paper and everything you see. The other scary part, though, because I think sometimes you can get the one-off, right? ETSU plays very hard defensively. They will try to guard you. Coach will... Uh, Mock will kind of get the energy going, get them up. The rebounding is going to be a war. Who's going to win that? Mm -hmm. Teams both want to get to the free throw line. Who's going to win that? The two big distinct differences, Bowling Green is averaging eight, 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 I'm going to say it right in a second. Apparently it's going around today. Eight made threes a contest. That concerns Mm -hmm. me because ETSU struggles to make six threes a game, five threes a game, let alone eight threes a game. The other part – that impresses me about Bowling Green. They're averaging 21 points off turnovers and yes. allowing just 10 points off turnovers, and that is another area where ETSU struggles. That being said, those are the two things that I think if ETSU can guard sort of the perimeter, not give up eight to ten made threes, I think that's clearly an area where or if ETSU can match sort of a three for three, which can happen. I'm not saying mm-hmm. ETSU can't hit 8, 10, 12 threes a game because they can do that. But right. if they kind of don't get outscored beyond the arc, they have similar free throw type attempts. The only other area I think where Bowling Green 
could hurt ETSU's points off turnovers. But if you if ETSU doesn't necessarily have to win all three of those categories, but they don't get blown out in any of those three categories, mm-hmm. that's how I think ETSU can win the game. ETSU was plus nine on points off turnovers against Vanderbilt, and they were plus five on turnover margin against Vanderbilt. So I think when you look at that and you look at the rebounding margin in that game where ETSU was plus nine, what you're seeing is a Buccaneers team that has the ability to impose their style of play. And maybe that is a little bit ugly. Maybe you would think of it as a rock fight. Maybe you call it mucking it up a little bit. Um, I think mucking it up can, carries maybe a connotation of some some uh, play that is not necessarily within the bounds of the rules. And I definitely don't think that's the case at ETSU. Um, but a team that makes you play a style of basketball where um, if you try to get out on them, you try to play fast, then you just end up making careless passes, careless mistakes, and they make you pay for them. And you have to slow down. You have to be more deliberate. You have to play in the half court. There are not a ton of teams in Division One that are built that way. And want to do that. Teams want to get out and run. Coaches want their teams to get out and run and be aggressive and play in transition and get those easy points and hit the home run ball. And you can't do that against ETSU unless you are just exponentially more athletic than they are the way that South Carolina was. Uh, In which case, you're exponentially more athletic than like 330 of the 360 teams in the country. So uh, I look at this game for ETSU as winnable because it's in Brooks Gym where the Bucks can slow the Falcons down and make them pay for their mistakes. So let me uh, piggyback one thing, paying for their mistakes. I think if Bowling Green doesn't control the glass, especially on the offensive end where ETSU is plus 53 for the season. Just absolutely dominant, yeah. And can get those second-chance opportunities. Bowling Green, although they score a lot, they are allowing teams to shoot 44% from the floor for the season, right? So they're giving up buckets. They're allowing teams to shoot 32% from beyond the arc, all right? I think if ETSU can get those offensive rebounds – now, Bowling Green's pretty good on offensive glass, too. They're plus 34, but – they're being out-rebounded. Um, well, they're out-rebounding their opponents by about one or two a game, which is fine. Uh, but I think ETSU can't give up the atomic bombs. They get second-chance opportunities. That's going to help if they can't necessarily score the basketball at a high clip. That's how they've been able to make their headway. And, yes, I like the word you use, muck it up. I knew exactly what you were kind of talking about, and I think that's the way it's got to be. It has to feel like you are in, you know, to quote um, – uh, Bobby Bowden, you're in the dad gym war. I mean, you mm-hmm. you were just you, it a rock fight probably the best, but it needs to be That's a, a yeah. game in the 60s. If Bowling Green gets to 70 or 80 or something like that, I think ETSU is just gonna have a hard time getting to 70 or 80, mm-hmm. unless they play Virginia of of Lynchburg of of the Commonwealth or whatever. Well, they are gonna play Converse later this year. Then they could probably get to 90 against Converse, but. Mm-hmm. When they play Division One teams, I think it's going to be very difficult for them to get to 70 or 80. Bowling Green does give up some easy buckets. ETSU can take advantage of that. But, again, 
there's three or four things I'm sure you could say in every basketball game if this happened you went but for ETSU I think it's it's very apparent well it's just the fact that all of those things that needed to happen for the Bucks to win these games have happened I think that's the big difference is that you know through hard work and determination and sheer force of will early in the season and and now um you know at this point in the year through sheer force of will the Bucks are eight and two because shots have not been falling for them. Um, you know, Neve Brown, it just feels like she's really, really close to turning a corner and being a, a major impact player for this team. Already is a very important scorer off the bench, but it's just like a couple more shots go in every game and you go from, yeah, we need Neve to score to Neve is going to score. Uh, Giselle Thomas is obviously a very explosive player, um, has maybe had to take a few more shots than I think she would like to get to the point totals that she has gotten so far this season. If those players get a couple more shots to fall, if Kendall Foley starts hitting two threes a game instead of one, if Courtney Moore starts getting buckets consistently, this team is going to take off. Um, I will say this. I think this is by far their toughest non-conference game left. And if they were to win this game on Sunday against Bowling Green... I don't know how you could expect them to lose another game before we get to SoCon play. I think their schedule sets up that well. And I think this team will certainly at that point have proven that they are beyond capable of beating the remaining teams on their schedule. Uh, which would be Charleston Southern, UNC Asheville, Longwood, Mount St. Mary's in that um, one-off game in Cherokee where they're kind of the the feature, the headliner of a, a youth tournament, I believe it is, is how it's set up. Uh, and then Converse. And then you get into league play with Chattanooga. And, I mean, you obviously have confidence that you can win a lot of games. But once you get into conference play, all bets are kind of off. Uh, you get into situations where, you know, teams have a lot more information on scouting you and, and are more dedicated in scouting you and preparing for you. And that's a little bit different from non-conference play but also if the Bucks win this game who beats them the rest of that non-conference slate Chuck South UNCA Longwood Mount St. Mary's Converse I don't know that any of them do and we're talking about an ETSU team that goes into SoCon play 14 and 2 which would be nuts yeah, no, I think yeah. my my brain I mean, I would think you're crazy talking. I mean it's not crazy talk but it sounds like crazy talk it sounds like I'm delirious, like I'm in the middle of a um, a hazy fever dream, like all of the rain and fog has corrupted my mind over the last three days, like it's a John Carpenter supernatural horror movie. No, this is very real. Like, I think we need to drive that home. This is a very real possibility. If the Bucks win this game on Sunday, we're talking about a team that goes all the way into SoCon play with two losses, which would be the best start to a season in program history. And I, there would be no qualifying or equivocating or NCAA tournament era this, uh, pre-NCAA that, uh, best since, it would be the best since ever. There will be a full hour show dedicated. If ETSU wins Sunday, I promise you. We will do, I mean, there will be some extensive extensive things that we will talk about and they will basketball they only will on Monday unequivocally deserve it 
agreed. It will be its dedicated show. We will talk you, about all you, the historical stuff. If you go into this schedule and you beat Vanderbilt and Bowling Green, that that in and of itself is something that ETSU has not done in a long time. So to be able to stack wins in all of your other games, all of those games that people would uh, conceive as winnable for ETSU, you're piling up the wins in those games. You go out and you win two of your three toughest non-conference games. Yes, they're at home, but you know opponents that expect to be able to go on the road and get wins. And you beat one of them by double digits here, holding them to 31 points. An SEC team to 31 points. If you do something similar to Bowling Green, yeah, man, we, we there is not enough that we can do to put the spotlight on that team. They have earned it. And that is 2 o'clock ESPN Plus coverage. Keith Brake on the call with, with Bruce, Bruce Tranbarger. All right, that's women's basketball. Men's hoops. Go to men's hoops. Talking men's hoops. Talking about men's basketball. Basketball. Men's basketball. They also have a game Sunday at 2 o'clock in Kentucky. Morehead, Kentucky to be exact. 1.30 pregame show on the Buccaneer Sports Network. We'll have that call for you here. That'll just be myself. I guess Kim Brown, I'll let him chime in some. Everyone loves the mad Kevin Brown, although I hope he's not mad. I hope he's actually happy. Man, I, I every time I hear Kevin get mad about something, it's something like totally innocuous, like fantasy football. He just he gets so mad about fantasy football trades. I... I you know what? I mean, I guess he that's, gets mad over everything. He I, does. I think you've forgotten. That, he, that's that. true. No, he get he gets mad when you tell him that Chicago pizza is basically a casserole. Mm, yeah. That, well, I'm going to step away from the <laughs> mic because if he heard that and he's coming flying in here, you're on your own, Bo. On your own, fella. Uh, I love you, I, I, I love Kevin. I love Kevin. But it does reinforce. It does reinforce one of my great mantras, and that is, it's one that I I didn't develop the last time I committed to a fantasy football league, but it is. Play it's like fan, that old line that you know fantasy sports is Dungeons and Dragons for people who used to make fun of people who play Dungeons and Dragons. Play Dungeons and Dragons with your friends. Play fantasy sports with your enemies. Because I like to play Uno with my enemies. Fan, that's uh, that's, all, that's also a good choice. That's yeah. also a good choice yeah. because if you play fantasy sports with your friends, you'll ruin friendships. But if you play D and D with your friends, those friendships will become ironclad. I think it's a sound philosophy. How many friends do you have again? Um, like that's my point. That's my point. Okay, here we go. Well, uh, no, I gotta think. Uh, I, gotta, I have like to think. Seven, eight, eight, seven, or eight, eight, eight or ten. Eight or ten. Eight, okay. Eight or ten. Okay. Yeah. I have a. I have a. I have an adequate social circle for an introvert. Okay. Yeah. Just keep Keith break on how to make friends. Play Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, uh, do it seriously. Do it. It's awesome. Yeah, it, it seems like I don't know. I was uh, going I'll to. Bring, I'll bring Fandelver and we'll play it with the SIDs. Okay. I, I was going to do that and I continue to live my life. That being said, hey, hey, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, the one thing, as I've lost my train of thought. Oh yeah, men's basketball. Let's talk about that. The yeah. one, the one thing going into that that I did with my own eyes witness. Everyone practiced the other day. I think that if there and I don't have an applause thing, I wish I did on the on the button there. Well, but, here I'll give you one right now. Uh, yeah! yeah, woo, 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 woo. 
when Ow! people ask me how concerned are you about men's basketball, I keep saying I'm not concerned because they haven't had everybody on the floor since Louisiana game. And everybody saw what was going on there, and I think we're all in agreement at the end of that game, hey, this team could be something. And then had some injuries. Jaden Seymour missed a few games. By the time he comes back, Brock Jansen has an ankle injury. D'Anthony Tipler's missed a couple, two games for very different reasons. I still want to reiterate that, very different reasons. But when they're all on the floor at the same time, it is a different-looking team. They are going to be able to push the ball inside, and Jansen gives them another presence inside plus another rebounder. When you get Tipler out there and playing, clearly he can score the basketball to take some pressure. Plus, let's be honest, Jordan King – the top is going to come off at some point, and he is going to go off. And these shots that aren't going in will go in because he's too good for them not to go in. Will that happen Sunday? I don't know. Will it help him if he has a full squad? I can't see how it would hurt him. And they're going to play a pretty good, I think, matchup team in Moorhead State. They've won some home games. They're one of one Division One home games. The last game they played was against North Alabama. Of course, Mike Ezekiel brings up because he's a North Alabama yes. graduate. But they led by 14 or 15 at halftime and ended up losing that mm-hmm. game at home by seven. They have an interesting mix. They've got a guy that's been there for a while and Mark Freeman, very talented scorer. They have an NAI transfer six foot ten Alex Gross, who is not gross on the floor. Three triple doubles last year. That is gross. Thirty-three double doubles. Very different sense, yes, but it is gross. And he's got several double doubles this year in nine games. He's averaging about eight boards per contest. Leads them in scoring with twelve point eight points, and he's got eleven block shots. He's made a fine transition from NAIA to the Mm -hmm. Division One level. And he's had some of his better games, not against the non-Division One teams they, they have played that you think maybe he would stack his um, stats against. But Moorhead State, uh, they got several guys back. Uh, Gross is new, kind of the rotation. But Mark Freeman, then they got Hawkins, they got Jake Wolf, who was a transfer mm-hmm. from Lipscomb, who was a, a guy he's played forever because he was on that 2019 team at Lipscomb that went to the NIT championship game and lost. That's how mm-hmm. long he's been around. So – I think this is going to be kind of a nice game. Moorhead State has five guys averaging between 10 and 13 points. So they really share the basketball well. They do a very good job of getting the ball inside, especially when we mention it gross. But they don't take a ton – well, I should say that. They do take a ton of threes. They don't make a ton of threes. Mm -hmm. So it is a lot of the the modern-day basketball. Get to the rim or shoot a three. That's basically what you're going to see out of Moorhead State. They're going to apply some token pressure. They'll add a, a little bit of full court mm-hmm. tilt to it. I like DTSU, even though they weren't at full strength, was able to add the full court pressure of the game. Yep. And I think it clearly showed how athletic and how good they could be. And now you add Tipler and Jancic back to the fold. And if Justice Smith can finally learn how to play on the road. He, at, at home, it is amazing how much more comfortable mm-hmm. he looks. So if they can get him on the road – playing similar maybe not 19 or 20 but give you eight or ten he's had back-to-back games of four steals he's starting to prove he can guard Alan Struthers is fun to watch on the perimeter I think this could be a nice game for ETSU to get off the division one losing streak get a win then come home and play very underrated Queens team and a very solid comparable to ETSU UNCA team 
I would agree. Um, and, you know, I, I do think, I mean, it's interesting to me that Moorhead State has been as good as it has been over the last, you know, 15 years. And you think about the coaches they had. I mean, Donnie Tyndall was there and, and sort of built the name for himself. Uh, and, and he had then, an NBA guy in Kenneth Fareed. Yes, he did. Um, and, uh, of course, he went on to Southern Miss, and that happened how it happened. And there was the one year at Tennessee, and then Rick Barnes took over in Knoxville. Um, Sean Woods was really, really good there. And then he – Just lost uh, his mind is a he, nice way to put that. Yeah, yeah, that's a nice way to put it. That's a nice way to put it. He was charged with misdemeanor battery in Indiana, and then he resigned. Um, but he won 20 games twice in three years, and um, he went 77-70 and 70 there. And Preston Spradlin's kind of had to rebuild this on the fly a little bit. But uh, he just won 23 games with that group in 2020 and, and the tie to ETSU was his first game as the interim head coach when they suspended yeah. Sean Woods was actually mm-hmm. against ETSU and Moorhead. And he won 23 games last year with that group as well. And they played uh, they played Murray State in the OVC championship game and uh, played them pretty tight. So, I mean, this is, a, this is a program that's been pretty good over the last few years, and certainly over the last 15 years, like Longview, this is a program that has probably um, outperformed the, the, the resources. I don't think anybody thinks of, of Moorhead State when they think of big spenders in college athletics. Uh, it's one of the few public institutions with a non-scholarship football program, but uh, they have made the absolute most of their investment, and the fact that they are able to do that consistently tells me that this is a program that um, ETSU needs to go on the road and play well against to beat. That No matter how many different faces there are, new faces there are in that program and in that university, uh, there is an expectation that they go out and deliver on the basketball court. And to see um, what that program looks like right now, I'm very intrigued as to how they play this game. Because they lost, they lost by, what, six to North Alabama? Is that right? Was it 81-75? Uh, yes, yeah, six. Yeah. So they've lost a, a couple of competitive games at home, and now they really need this one. And they're the preseason favorite in the OVC as well. So they really, really want to get this one. Um, ETSU coming out may or may not have Brock Jancic. Sounds like they will have DeAnthony Tipler. They're optimistic, at least, uh, that, that Tip's going to be part of the mix, I think, after his ankle injury. Well, at least Chancic was going through drills. So I don't yeah. know if that – he's got to be getting close. If he's so not, he's almost if he's, back. If he's not ready for Sunday, I would uh, – it'd be hard-pressed for me not to think he wouldn't be ready for Wednesday. But he's, he's, he's closer than he was a week ago when we still saw him in the boot. So you got a Moorhead State team that's got its back against the wall, needs a win. Going up against an ETSU team that maybe, possibly, perhaps is going to have its full rotation for the first time in almost a month. I that is a very intriguing matchup to me, and I'm, I'm we're going to learn a lot. I think about what this ETSU team is um, now that everybody is back healthy or close to 100% healthy. Um, because, like you said, that's kind of when things got wobbly. Right, was when players started getting hurt. And there is obviously the concern of, well, what happens if that happens again? Well, I mean, there's only so much of that that you can control. But this group, clearly, if you you avoid bad luck with injuries the rest of the way, say you've gotten all of that out of the way, 
And this this group has an opportunity, I think, to go on a run and non-conference play um, at full health. I think they got a very good chance to beat UNC Asheville. Queens is better than they will get credit for as a school transitioning up from D2. Do not sleep on Queens. Um, unless they're queen-size mattresses, in which case I guess you can sleep on those. But don't sleep on Queens, the basketball program. They're very good. It's so funny how last year's season played out. ETSU, when they were at full strength last year, they go down there and win the tournament in Naples. They knock off Murray State. They beat Murray State, yeah. Who had four wins, or four losses, I should say. Four losses on the year. They come back home and knock off Moorhead State, who had 23 wins, and play them in the championship game of the OVC with a full roster. You take a look at all these. Jordan King had 18 in the game. He was mm-hmm. the second leading scorer. Ladarius Brewer had 20. David Sloan had 12. Charlie Weber had 11. Mohab Yasser had 10. Ty Brewer had 7. Mm. The only other player score that's still on the roster now is Seymour, 4. So 22 of ETSU's 82 is back from last Ouch. year's game. Now, in fairness... Johnny Broom was the best player for Moorhead State who averaged almost 20 a game, and he had 24 against CTSU. He's not back on the roster. Plus, Trey Hollowell, who played for Wofford all those years before he transferred to Moorhead State, was the team's second-leading scorer. And he didn't have a great game uh, that day, but he had a great game in Freedom Hall later. Skylar Potter was on that team. He's gone. Oh, yeah, exactly. So then you're talking about just basically, which I think the Bucks will see Potter. He's on another roster. He's at Jacksonville State. Yeah, we just saw him. Thank yeah, we just you. saw him. He I scored just drew like a blank. 20, Thank 27 you. Points. Uh, yeah, 27. That's why I remember that name. So, yeah. I, so he got in Freedom Hall and only had three and figured out how to get 27. That's what it was. There I, it is. Can't believe I've, I guess because I didn't do the game last year. I yeah. didn't put that two and two together. Was bad, bad things. I was with you, three. North Dakota State. No, I went yeah. with you. You weren't even there. No, you I wasn't there. I was, in, big time. I was in Arizona he on big, my way to he Wyoming. He big time. I was in Tucson. Now, Jake Wolf did have 13. He's back. That being said, it's hard. You can't even look at either team from last year. But it was a heck of a basketball game. 82-75, nip and tuck, Moorhead led by two. I would love to draw a comparison from last year to this year, but these are two very different teams that would love to be where those two teams are at that point in the season because ETSU at that point was 7-3 and three after the win, and Moorhead State was 6-4. and four. Mm-hmm. Neither team are near there right now. So, right, correct. like you said correct. earlier, this is a battle between two teams that need to get things going and need to figure it out. And one thirty will be our pregame show, 2 o'clock on the Buccaneer Sports Network. Again, radio show coverage. You can listen to the radio. You can watch ESPN+. Plus. Go ahead and hold the uh, – uh, do the volume down or whatever you need to do there on ESPN. Nobody's here, Keith. You want to listen to me? Radio you want to watch the game? You know what I'm talking about. You can watch both games at once. Unfortunately, both teams do play at the same time. Yes. So I a- was hoping to sidebar you yep, yep. with Tucson because it's one of my favorite towns in America. What is your favorite road trip destination that you have been to? What, like, and not not just like as a, not just like as a. Oh, I love going to this city because it's great party vibe. But like, I love going to this city because it's just one of my favorite towns in America. So I'd so one I would have to venture to a couple of times. So not just the one off. Okay. Uh, by, by that criteria, um, man. Because I have I have been to Tucson multiple times. And I love I've been it to Tucson once. We played a baseball series. Yeah, I vividly remember that baseball series because I was here in the middle of the night board hopping it. And uh, we gave up uh, a lot of school records as they scored over 20 <laughs> runs every single game. Yes, and then they did. went to Eugene. That was good, too. Uh, again, I've talked about going to Bozeman with football. That was mm-hmm. a town I've not been to that I've enjoyed. A town that I go to. You've been to Fargo twice. I've been to Fargo twice. I do enjoy that. Um, man. Good place if you like steak and or beer. I like both. Yeah. Uh, da, 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 man, I think you you guys hit up uh, 
What was it? You I mean, Fort, Myer, Fort Myers when we used to go Fort there. Fort Myers there is were, good. There yeah. are plenty of spots to go, and and you could always do something new and different. I kind of like when you can do and do some things a little different. Yeah. Um, you know, Birmingham's probably uh, underrated, I think, um, yeah. depending on where that is. Obviously, there's some go-tos. Charleston, I've never had a bad time whenever we go to Charleston. Nobody has a Citadel bad time in Charleston. College Charleston. Yeah, so, it's awesome. Uh, those are good. I'm trying to think maybe of an underrated – place uh because i think everyone had been to either fort myers or charleston would mm-hmm. you know, I, I think those are no-brainers i'm like oh yeah there's a lot to do there man i'd have to think favorite place what are yours tucson very high on the list big fan of tucson um a oh man omaha i really liked omaha that was good. Been that, there that, once. I liked down, it as well. Downtown Omaha is really, really nice. Like it's really nice. It's pretty walkable. Um, that was a good one. Um, I don't really have a lot of experience with the town itself, but Providence. We ate in an Italian restaurant that was the upper floor of someone's house, and it was okay. like big family style Italian restaurant, like a whole basketball team ate at one table and there were massive bowls of Italian food that you pass around. And it was just, it was spectacular. Um, so certainly have some good memories. Providence. Charleston is obviously on that list. I will say this there was a, and it's, it's not the town where the team is, but there was a barbecue joint in Marion, Virginia that oh, we would yeah. stop on our mm-hmm. way up to Lexington and would stop and eat there all the time on the mm-hmm. way there, on the way back. And we went this past year or whatever. And because yeah. of COVID it's gone. It's gone. It's not even there anymore. Unreal. So it's not. It's not even. Unreal. It, and it, it couldn't be further from. It was like not even tr- the true halfway point, really, from here to Lexington. Yeah. But uh, that's one of those odd ones. Um, and if I, you can stand the cold for just a little bit until you get into a building connected to the Skyway, I would recommend Minneapolis. Because mm. Minneapolis, well, most of downtown Minneapolis is connected via the Skyway, so you can walk from one building to another without going outside. I think I could give you a list of towns I don't like to go to before I could give you a good list. I think, I like I, I think you could give me a list of towns. I, I could give you a list of towns. I'm sure. Too. Yeah. All right. That's a, I tell you what, we, we may circle back to that when we get uh, – We'll put a in, pin in, in, in it. In the, in, the dog, in the dog days of co- no. conference play where we're you know, three shows a week, maybe we're struggling. We'll, uh, I'll tell you one that, that I am looking forward to going to that I have not been to in a very long time that was one of my favorite spots when I lived in this region before, and that's Asheville. I'm looking forward to going back to Asheville yeah, for a variety of reasons, not just the restaurants that are in old Tudor style houses. Well, you, you know, bring, bring home a trophy. That's always a good reason. Uh, that's exactly what I was talking about. Thank you for, yes, that you, you've unpeeled the layers. You've looked inside the glass. Uh Oh, I've never looked inside a glass. Onion. The biggest stories, the hard hitting details, the in-depth investigative like reporting you've been craving all can be found at ESPN, The Athletic, and The Associated Press. Yes, they have. Now here's someone not named Adrian Wojnarowski, Ian Rapoport, or Bruce Feldman. All right, we talked about it on the Coach's Show on Monday when it broke. Do you know what a glass onion is? No, I have no idea. It's a monocle. Oh, yeah, I do know what a monocle is. Yeah. You should have just said that. Why do you, say, I mean, why do you make it so hard? Well, I just you want, realize I know nothing. I, I mean, want, I want to broaden your horizons. That's fair. That, I, mean, I also want somebody. We should to, bring back Jay knows English language. Then I, I also want somebody listening out there to just be like, "Do you know what a glass onion is? Do you know what a glass onion is?" Like when you're watching Jeopardy and you know the answer before the contestants do, and just be like, "It's a monocle." 
I just want it. I just want that experience for somebody. It's validate. It's validating. It's vindicating. Vindication. Anyway, continue. I don't know how to jump from vindication to Jay McCauley's out. You're going to make that a tough transition no, for there's me. No, segue, there's no segue <laughs> okay. there. Just making sure. There's no segue. Uh, so Monday, as we were doing the coaches show, and the reason, the only reason I brought it up, one of SoCon News I thought I had to, but the other reason is because Coach Oliver, for those that really don't know, when he was at Georgia, Jay McCauley was a walk-on. Oh, yeah. And eventually uh, became a graduate assistant and very tight with Coach Oliver. And the fact that he has taken a leave of absence where associate head coach Dwight Perry – is now the interim coach, but basically this stemmed from the players having a meeting um, with Richard Johnson, the AD, who's mm-hmm. he's had a very odd year uh, at Wofford. Basically, they were unhappy with uh, several things, reports that come out with practice time, the relationship with coach on and off the floor. They just felt like they didn't want to play for him anymore. Mm-hmm. And you hate to see – that and you hate sometimes when, uh, lack of a better term, a coup has been kind of orchestrated. I'm not. I, I would almost call this a, a mutiny to some degree. The crew has turned on the captain. <sighs> yeah, and uh, you know, and more's going to come out. And mm-hmm. it's not to say that his day is completely done and there's no salvaging. But for right now, there's a there's a lot of work to do, a lot of soul searching. And this is crazy because this is not a team that's losing. They were five and four, yeah, and had two three-point losses to SEC teams: a three-point loss at LSU, a three-point loss at Vanderbilt. And it seems like this had nothing really to do with particular basketball winning and losing, but everything around basketball. If that makes sense. And I, I mean, Wofford has not been really objectively just outright bad at any point in McCauley's tenure since he took over for Mike Young. Um, and it's not like you hear about Wofford players in the headlines doing this or that. I mean, so when, when I think the, the relationship is strained, it was really just, it was strained past the breaking point for those players. And I, I think, you know, something that you you brought up was that there wasn't really much of a relationship between the coach and the players. And you can't run a program that way anymore. You have to be able to connect to your players as a, as a head coach, as a staff, you have to be able to relate to them and relate to stuff that they might be going through off the floor because who is, if not you, then who is the go-to person for those young people on a college campus? If they're struggling to adapt, maybe they're a transfer that's struggling to adapt to a new school or a new culture um, or maybe you know the lifestyle that's required of living in a certain place is different and they're going to come to you for guidance and and confidence and you're going to get players that are fresh out of high school and they're struggling to adjust to the college life and they're going to come to you for guidance they're going to come to you uh to talk about their issues and if you can't connect with those guys about non-basketball stuff then it's really difficult to build the relationships that make your program work. And that's true of any sport, right? Like, I mean, any coach anywhere cannot be all business all the time. You have to have some level of non-sport connection to your players. This is why I, like, I encourage people to branch out and do a lot of different things is because you need to have ways to relate to people outside of just sports. Like as a sports fan, I love sports. Sports cannot be my whole personality. I have met people 
for whom sports are their whole personality. I've worked with people for whom sports their their worked with people for whom sports are their whole personality. And there's just it's really difficult to build the relationships that create the environment where everybody succeeds and feels heard and and like they belong there. And so when I hear stuff like that that's that's circulating around, that makes me think, you know, these players are looking for someone somewhere to relate to. Yeah, and, and they're not getting uh, it. And and again, I'm not in the the breaking news type deal. Just going off what the reports are openly out there saying. I've not reached out to anybody to try to you know get any more than what they have been released at what the players are uh, have been willing to share on sort of the issue there. So it's Southern Conference news. We'll keep an eye on it. Second time this year that Wofford's had a mid-year change um, mm-hmm. at their two biggest sports that, again, four years ago you're talking about a team that was in the second round of the playoffs yeah. in FCS, and you're talking about winning a game in NCAA tournament, and they've had mid-year coaching changes or mid-year one change and one guy leave of absence, and we will certainly keep an eye and, on that. And we should attribute this, right? Attribution is important. This is uh, the, the reports about player unrest uh, originated with Jeff Goodman. Field of 68. Yeah, and WSPA also, uh, the good buddy Pete Yannity yep. was the first to say that uh, they were um, going to take the leave of absence, and then Goodman yep. had the one that done the player rest. So, again, unrest, I should say. So, that being said, Monday we're going to have a show. We're going to talk ETSU men's and women's basketball. Again, the men, 2 p.m. on the road at Moorhead State. The women, 2 p.m., Brooks Jim. Pick your poison. Go watch them both. Mm-hmm. Listen to one, watch one. I don't know how you want to do it. I prefer that. Are you just waiting for the bed to wrap? I am. Okay. You got 15 seconds. I got nothing. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll see you on Sunday. You got eight seconds. Have a really, really, really great weekend. We'll see you on Sunday. See you on Sunday. Oh, you got to be kidding me.